This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing really good this week, actually. How are you? I'm doing good. Real good. I don't <laughs> good. know why. I always like try to out good myself every week, and I don't know if that's how I'm feeling inside, but I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine. I'm really yeah. fine. <laughs> well, you know, like the schools are on spring break, so even though we homeschool, I obviously am taking spring break this week. Of and course. so that's been really nice that I <laughs> didn't have to, you know, be a teacher this week. So legally. I've been loving it. It's, <laughs> yeah, I can legally get away with not doing anything for a week. So it's been great. So yeah, I love it. And the weather's been beautiful. And it I has. I hope that everybody else is starting to get better weather. I know it's been kind of a rough winter for all the northern people. So people that have winters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the not weather Florida. has been beautiful here. I mean, it hasn't been like too hot. It hasn't been mm-hmm. cold. I mean, this week has been kind of cold. I don't even know what I'm saying. I feel like it's been cold for me, but I feel bad We can't say saying. the temperatures, but yes, I agree. <laughs> My Perfect. thin blood thinks so. Yeah. No, it's been great. So before we get into this week's episode, uh, we want to let you guys know that sadly, we are taking a week off and there will be no new episode next week on April 2nd. You know, by starting it with the word sadly, I thought we were shutting the show down. (laughs) Like the way you said it, I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, so I'm sorry if you thought the same thing, but then I hope that I brought, you know, you back to life whenever I just said, we're just taking one week off. You know, last summer we did... We went on a schedule where we were only doing a show every two weeks. So I feel like just taking one week off is, it's a gift to all of us. <laughs> I mean, it's a gift to you. You don't have to hear us yammering on like we're doing right now. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and then just another reminder, we will be at CrimeCon June 6th. Oh, gosh. 7th or 9th. Yes. I saw it today. <laughs> 7th or 9th. You can come see us there if you want, as well as lots of other people, not just us. It's not all about us. I mean, that's how we're selling it, though. Yeah. We're really <laughs> just selling it that we're the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Lots of great shows. Trace Evidence is there. Criminology is there. Once Upon a Crime. Why don't we have a list? I know. Why we're we terrible. doing this to we ourselves? terrible. It's going to be a lot of fun, though. I think it was so much fun last year from looking at people's pictures. So I am very excited. So if you guys want to go to that, you can use our code M&M19 to get 10% off your standard badge. And we hope that you will. We hope that you will come and see us. We want to see everyone. So getting into the episode for this week, uh, we have all heard the phrase, money cannot buy you happiness. And unfortunately, this week's story proves just how true that really is. This is the story of a wealthy urologist named Dr. Gulam Munda and his wife, Donna, and all of the events that led to a life-changing tragedy for several people. 
Dr. Munda had immigrated to the U.S. from India in 1971 and set up his urology practice in Hermitage, Pennsylvania, which is near Pittsburgh. And Melissa has so graciously Googled both of these cities, I think, but mostly Pittsburgh. Cool. So... Let's back that up a little bit. <laughs> so I uh, Googled Hermitage, Pennsylvania. The population, of course, as of the 2010 census is 16,220. Not a lot going on. And if you're saying to yourself, Hermitage, what? Don't worry. Google asked me literally the same thing. So while I am sure that Hermitage is a lovely, lovely town, I've once again moved to a slightly bigger city in the area, and you may have heard of it, Pittsburgh. I'm going to start off this week really strong. The Big Mac was actually invented by Jim Delegati, who was a local McDonald's franchisee, and it was first sold in 1967. So if you're looking to make a shrine, the guy that made the Big Macs is named Jim Delgatti. Don't forget it. He's really forever in our hearts. No, really. Seriously. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like causing coronary issues in my heart. <laughs> In the 1943 to 1944 season, there were actually not enough players for the Steelers or the Philadelphia Eagles football teams. So they combined for one single season and played as the Steagles, giving us like the first mashup. (laughs) (laughs) This was really interesting. The emoticon was invented in Pittsburgh in 1980 by Carnegie Mellon University computer scientist Scott Fallman. In 1980? 1980, Mandy. I Trust me, I was as confused as you, and so I went to another website, and it really did prove to be true. So, actually, this email says it's from 1982, so I could be two years off. So, here's the actual email that birthed the emoticon. This is from Scott E. Fallman. I propose that the following character sequence is used for joke markers, and it's colon, hyphen, end parentheses. Read it sideways. Actually, it's probably more economical to mark things that are not jokes given current trends. For this, use colon hyphen open parentheses so that's like they there was like an oil spill and somebody like sent this like onion type art of article and people thought it was true and they realized like oh we need a way to mark these things to like if you're joking or you're not so i thought that was just fascinating that somebody thought to do this don't ask me why maybe it's just I mean, I love emoticons. They're just This fun. is literally my favorite piece of useless information that you it's have so ever good. taught me on this show. I really am trying <laughs> here, people. And so now Google the city has come to an end, and hopefully it leaves you all with a colon hyphen in parentheses feeling and not the brown ice cream emoji I normally give you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Okay. Dr. Munda was a very, very popular urologist, and he was actually in very high demand in the area and was very well known and well liked for his professionalism and kindness. He took his job as a physician very seriously and made a point to take the time to really understand his patients and their needs. He was one of those doctors who had just had a really good bedside manner and would actually spend time with each of his patients, learning about them and everything that they needed, you know, from their care in their time with him. And then in walked Donna, who was an 18-year-old new hire at the practice. Despite the massive age difference between the two of them, Dr. Munda being twice her age, the pair took a liking to each other. Donna had not come from a wealthy family, and in fact, she had gotten the job at the office to help her family make ends meet. She was from a very close-knit family and had close relationships with her parents. 
Donna was drawn to the lavish lifestyle that Dr. Munda seemed to be able to provide, and it was a refreshing change of pace for the young woman who had previously lived a very simple life. At the time the two met, Dr. Munda had a net worth of $6 million, and he used it to spoil his new love interest with expensive gifts, including a new car and plenty of jewelry and romantic vacations. Donna soaked up all of this affection, but after a while, she began to feel like she wanted to be more than just a trophy wife to this rich doctor. She actually wanted to go back to school and get a degree in nursing, which is something that Dr. Munda was very enthusiastic of, and he supported her and really wanted to see her succeed in that. She eventually obtained a master's degree from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, and began working as a nurse anesthetist, making herself a living that she was proud of. Dr. Munda paid all of the couple's bills with his salary, so Donna was free to keep all of her own money to spend however she pleased, which, oh my goodness, I cannot imagine that life. I just yeah. want I just want to make all the money from like a nursing career and keep it for myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, you know, it works for them. He yeah. obviously was making enough to totally support them. So that was kind of nice that she was working hard as well. And she was able to kind of do what she wanted with it. Honestly, I'm just very jealous of that situation. That situation you got yourself in there, Donna. <laughs> So the couple spent 12 years together before they finally got married, and Donna really started to get used to living in the lap of luxury, and she allowed her husband to continue indulging her in these expensive gifts while she was still maintaining a close relationship with her own family, and they would even tag along on some of these luxury vacations with the couple. Donna's father actually spent a lot of time at their home helping around their yard and just being there for her. Like I said, she had a very close relationship with her family. A close friend of Donna's named Kim said that some people believe Donna was a gold digger, but that was not the case. Um, The couple was truly in love and their age difference may have been a problem for some people, but it was not a problem for them. Dr. Munda continued to be a loving and charitable doctor and generously donated money to causes that were near and dear to his heart. Coworkers recalled that he was just as giving when it came to Donna and the couple had no outward appearance of any type of marital struggles. In October of 1998, Donna suffered the death of her father following a brain hemorrhage, which friends said was the start of a different type of Donna. She stopped returning phone calls and fell into a spiral of health issues, including back pain and kidney stones. And while this is all going on, Donna's home life starts to unravel as well. She was working long hours as a nurse, but her husband still expected her to play the role of full-time homemaker, making sure dinner was ready when he arrived home and helping him kind of relax in the evening after a long day of work for him. It didn't take long before resentment sort of set in and Donna began coping with these negative feelings by using alcohol. There were rumors that Dr. Munda was having affairs, none of which were ever substantiated, and most people that knew the couple said that they felt that he was very, very in love with his wife and he doted on her and showed her the same care that he showed towards his patients. Completely unbeknownst to her husband, Donna had taken up an even more dangerous habit than drinking. Since she was a nurse, she had a plethora of different painkillers and prescription drugs at her fingertips, and temptation eventually wore her down. She began injecting fentanyl on a daily basis, which was very easy for her to steal from work. At first, her secret was safe, but soon enough, she was addicted to the painkiller and began stealing them from patients to get her fix. In 2004, Donna was asked to submit a random urinalysis for her job, and that's when her addiction came into the spotlight. After she got caught stealing drugs, she had her nursing license revoked and she lost her job. 
she was also convicted for theft of narcotics. All of this, of course, reflects poorly on Dr. Munda, who has an outstanding reputation in the community. He even pleaded with the judge to please show mercy and spare her any jail time, so she was put on probation and ordered to attend rehab. Donna was flung into a very intense outpatient program where she found support among the fellow addicts there. She began confiding in her parole officer, Chris Sauter, and in one addict that she met through group therapy sessions at the rehab center named Damian Bradford. Damien was a 22-year-old bad boy with a long rap sheet, which made him a very unlikely friend for Donna, who was now in her 40s and, you know, didn't really have any crimes in her past or anything. And she, of course, is, you know, a wealthy woman married to this rich doctor. Damien was no stranger to the judicial system and had also recently been court-ordered to attend this rehab. He was a longtime cocaine dealer who had been arrested numerous times on drug-related charges. He also had issues with abusing marijuana and alcohol. Even though there were 20 years between the two of them, they hit it off right away and had a very intense chemistry that eventually became too much for either of them to ignore. This was obviously a problem as Donna was married to Dr. Munda and Damien was engaged to another woman named Charlene McFraser. Donna's probation officer, Chris, actually saw what was going on with this situation and strongly advised that Donna stay as far away from Damien as possible if she truly wanted to repair her life and get it back on the right track. But Donna felt a very strong pull towards this much younger man. He was attractive and physically fit, and he had this bad boy persona, which was apparently very appealing to Donna at the time, even though it was a complete 180 from the life that she had with Dr. Munda. Donna and Damien spent a lot of time together going on lunch dates and exchanging texts back and forth all throughout the day, every single day. By early 2005, the two were having a full-blown affair, and the details of the affair were kind of straight out of a movie. Donna completely reversed the role that she had in her own marriage, which was to be spoiled and pampered by her husband, and she began to shower Damien with this same type of materialistic affection. After they completed their rehab stint, they seemed to distance themselves from each other somewhat, but by that point, Donna had become somewhat of a sugar mama to Damien. She had used her maiden name to sign a lease on an apartment for Damien to live in, as well as purchased him a new car, given him luxurious gifts, and even a cash allowance. She also purchased separate cell phones for each of them to use specifically just to stay in contact with each other. Since she was working and making her own money, she was able to do all of this pretty much undetected by her husband because she was operating out of her own bank account. So we watched this one thing that was killer couples, um, and this was like, I I live for reenactments, and this was such a good one. How it was so good, overly dramatic it was. It like they would see each other immediately fling into you know right into each other's faces. I'm like nobody's brushed their teeth or like. Got a piece yeah. of gum in their mouth or anything. And then my favorite was like, you know, in high school or middle school, whenever you would put your arms around yourself and just like pretend like you're making out with somebody like, you know, like <laughs> got your arms going all up and down and stuff. This is what it looked like. It did not make any sense. They're like, I'm like, your teeth are clanking against each other. Yeah. This, is not, this is not romantic at all. It seems painful. But anyway, I... I love a bad reenactment. So if you want to see a bad reenactment, check out our show notes. I think we have it in there. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, the relationship between Donna and Damien was not exactly a fairy tale romance. They were both really using each other, but for different reasons. 
she was using him to fill a void in her life in her marriage while he was using her for sex and for her money. I feel like she was using him a little bit for sex as well, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was for sure. I feel like that was a mutual thing. <laughs> yeah. So the two of them would get together for evenings of drug use, alcohol abuse, and for sex. But Damien's fiance, Charlene, was fully aware of the situation, and she was not happy about it. When she learned that he was having this ongoing affair with Donna, she decided to call her husband and let him in on the secret. So she actually called Dr. Munda, um, which what a call that would be to make. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't. No. I can't imagine. <laughs> no. I'm terrified. I used to work for this doctor who was really, really lovely. But anytime he would call me, I would be terrified every single time. So I can't imagine calling him and, like, giving him terrible news like this. Like, yeah. it's just terrifying. So uh, when Dr. Munda found out about his wife's infidelity, it was really the straw that broke the camel's back. He'd already been so embarrassed and highly upset about her drug abuse, and he did not want to put up with her cheating on him as well. They decided at this point to live basically separate lives until they could finalize a divorce. Although the couple had a prenup agreement that only entitled Donna to $250,000, Dr. Munda, being the generous guy he was, offered up a $1 million divorce settlement. He'd never been stingy with his money, and he really wasn't going to start then. It would seem that Donna and Damien somewhat drifted apart during this time, and that the doctor and his wife were just really trying to be as amicable as possible. The couple, along with Donna's mother, had planned to drive to Ohio to visit Dr. Munda's nephew, Farak, and his new wife on May 13, 2005. The three of them set out from Hermitage, Pennsylvania at around 4.30 p.m., they drove for about an hour before reaching a service plaza on the Ohio Turnpike, where they stopped and bought refreshments before getting back on the road. This time, Donna was in the driver's seat. But 30 minutes later, a tragedy would occur that would change the course of their lives forever. And before we get into this tragedy, we are going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it's truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. The 2019 FabFitFun Springbox is on sale now. And in the words of Donna Meagle and Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec, 
treat yourself. Treat yourself to things like Dr. Brandt's skincare, needles no more, no more baggage, ID puffing gel with a $42 retail value. Super love that. Treat yourself to a sip by swell, beautiful water bottle, which has a $19.99 retail value. Remember when you were a kid and you begged your mom to let you go get the mail because anything that came to your house was always fun? As an adult, I tend to avoid the mail, but Melissa and I immediately text each other when we got our boxes. Not only is it happy mail, it is a lot of happy mail. FabFitFun makes getting the mail fun again. I immediately went for the Dolux mini backpack with a $78 retail value. It's so perfect for spring and it is lightweight, which is great in Florida swamp heat. One thing I really love about the FabFitFun boxes is that it's a great way to really discover new brands and products. Some of these products I've heard before and wanted to try and some are totally new to me. I had such a great combination of things in my box from the 11 by Venus jump rope to the eye to puffing gel I mentioned before to the Levito aromatic body lotion in mandarin and orange. $19 retail value, and my daughter has definitely attempted to steal this from me more than one time, and I cannot wait to see what's in the next box. Sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. Use our code MOMS to get $10 off your first box. Go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well-lived. Use promo code MOMS to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to fabfitfun.com and use our code MOMS to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. And now back to the episode. So we're at the point in the story where Dr. Munda, his wife Donna, and her mom are in the car on the way to Ohio going to visit Dr. Munda's nephew. Donna is now in the driver's seat of the car, but after they had driven about 30 miles, Dr. Munda started asking her if he could take over and she could get back in the passenger seat because typically when they were going on trips together, she would look at the map and tell him where to go and he would drive there. Donna agreed and said that she would pull over at the next safe place to do so, which ended up being an emergency pull-off lane right off the side of the turnpike. Before the couple could even exit the car to switch seats, a man pulled up behind them and quickly got out of his vehicle and approached the passenger side of the Jaguar that the Mundas were in. The man confronted Dr. Munda at gunpoint, demanding that he turn over his wallet. Dr. Munda complied without any hesitation. He was a very non-confrontational and very kind man and actually had always joked that if he was ever robbed, he wanted the robber to be happy with what they made off with. In this case, it was about $4,000 in cash, all in $50 bills. Sadly, the assailant was not satisfied once he had Dr. Munda's wallet in hand and he shot him in the head at point blank range before getting back into his vehicle and speeding off down the turnpike. Donna dialed 911 in hysterics to report that her husband had just been shot. Being that she was a trained nurse, she immediately started CPR and continued to try to preserve his life while she waited for emergency services to arrive. When the paramedics started approaching the scene, Donna's mother flagged them down and pointed them towards the car where Dr. Munda was barely clinging to life. When the EMS took over, the doctor still had a faint heartbeat, but after several minutes of performing advanced life-saving measures, they realized that their efforts were in vain and he was not going to survive. He was pronounced dead at the scene a short time later. When Donna learned that her husband had passed away, she was extremely distraught. The detectives attempted to speak to her as well as to her mother, but her mom was in complete shock and was really unable to tell them too much. Well, can you imagine you're like just doing this simple changing of people on the side of the road and you just witnessed this horrifying, just horrifying ordeal that 
course, you never saw it coming. So I can see how you'd be in shock, you know, being her mom. It'd be terrible. Yeah, absolutely. So Donna, however, was able to tell the police what had happened as she recalled it. She said that when they pulled over to switch seats, another vehicle quickly approached and parked behind them and that the driver of that vehicle got out very quickly and walked over and robbed her husband before shooting him. She had a difficult time recounting the exact details of the attack, but she was able to tell the officers a few things. She described the attacker as a male that was very short at only about five foot four and was wearing a mask. She said this man had a mean voice and drove off in a black van. She also told the officers about the pit stop that they had made about 30 minutes prior to the attack and kind of suggested that someone at the store may have possibly seen her husband take out his wallet that was stuffed with all these $50 bills and then follow them down the turnpike waiting for an opportunity to rob him. Detectives retraced the Munda steps and visited the convenience store they had stopped at and spoke to employees that were working there at the time. Nobody seemed to have really any insight into who this mystery man could be. They hadn't seen anybody matching that description, nor had they seen a vehicle that matched the description of the one that Donna described to the police. But how hard is that? Like, they always talk about witnesses and stuff like that. But I'll think of something like um, a few weeks ago, I was coming back from getting my haircut and the people kind of off to the side of me had rear-ended each other and I thought or one had rear-ended the other one that makes more sense but I I thought like oh my gosh I have no idea what happened there I have no idea you know like the sequence of events all I ever think about is what a terrible witness I would be because I had oh, seen it too. happened for sure but I was like I I have no idea for all I know somebody walked out and pushed the car into the other car I did not know yeah anything. well I actually was driving recently like last week and saw an accident happen right in front of me and then you know and and then I drove past it and I was like I couldn't even tell you what happened even though I was the one like my car was you know looking at it and then they were in the other side like the oncoming lane and I saw like the accident happen it was like a red light you know somebody ran a red light kind of thing I wouldn't be able to describe the details of it to an officer, even though I was literally looking that direction. Saw the entire like, thing. Wow. Yeah, exactly. But I actually watched like a long time ago, I watched this thing. I think it was like an ABC special or one of those yeah. like, nightly specials where it was proving how terrible people are at recalling details. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is so true. And like everybody, we're all human, you know, and if somebody came asking, you know, th- these detectives are going there. It's probably been several hours. Do you know how many people these right. pe- these workers of this store have seen in that period of time? It's like it's like finding a needle in a haystack, really, to go in and ask, like, well, did you see a short man? Well, yeah, I've seen a lot of them, you know, yeah, in that yeah. period of time. So yeah, I, I can see how that would easily turn into a dead end. Yeah, I remember that same special you're talking about because they were like people would get the colors wrong, that like everything was wrong. Like your memory, I can't even remember how much you could actually take in. So the investigators have really hit a dead end at this point, and they decide to release the news of the shooting to the media, as well as this emotional plea from Donna, in hopes that a passerby would step forward with any tips or information. At first, the media coverage really led to nothing, but several days later, investigators got a tip from a very unlikely source. Chris Sauter, we talked about him before, that was Donna's probation officer, told authorities all about Donna's relationship with Damian Bradford. At almost the same time, Charlene Frazier called into the Pennsylvania State Police to report that Donna Munda had been involved in an affair with her former fiancé, Damian Bradford. 
She wanted to let the police know that they should really look into Damien, who had a prior criminal record, as we spoke about before, and he had a motive to commit such a murder. She also told him about all the money that had exchanged hands between Donna and Damien and how she had helped him buy his car and rented an apartment out for him. Charlene also told the investigators that Donna had actually started to run out of money to fund his life with Damien. How much money are you spending? A How lot. much money? Like, <laughs> if you don't have any bills, yeah, but like, there's nothing else you're paying for here, lady. Well, there was something that I read that, well, yeah, she doesn't have anything else, but there was something I read that said that she was spending upwards of $7,500 a month on this guy. And that has to be like her entire salary. Like, I don't know how much yeah, more. We're close That's to a lot of money. And if they're separating yeah. and about to go through this divorce, she's obviously got to be setting aside some money to leave or, you know, something that, right. that, yeah, that, oh my gosh, woman. Donna was really only spending her own money and not any of Dr. Munda's money, but this well is running dry thanks to all the lavish spending and these gifts and cash allowances for a grown man. So she got to the point where she was spending more money on Damien than she was even making, as Mandy was saying. So investigator theorized that Donna may have been on the verge of tapping into her husband's bank account to continue her sugar mama lifestyle. When the police learned that Dr. Munda had been aware of the affair, they wondered whether his soon-to-be ex-wife would have something to do with his murder. They soon learned about the divorce settlement that Dr. Munda was kindly offering up to Donna to the tune of $1 million, despite it only originally being $250,000. And they wondered really what motive would she have to kill him if he was being that generous with the divorce. But that's when they learned that Dr. Munda was worth far more to Donna dead than he was alive. If Dr. Munda died while he was still married to Donna, she would be entitled to about $3 million in life insurance and inheritance. Police believed they had a possible motive and went to visit Damien at his home to question him. Damien did not deny having an affair with Donna, but he maintained that he had nothing to do with the death of her husband and even said that he had an alibi. His fiancée, Charlene, also told police that she was with him in Pennsylvania the afternoon of the shooting. This is the same woman that called and said he could be involved, right? Or is this a different woman? Yeah, no, same woman. I feel like she... I don't know. I don't know whether she had like second thoughts about throwing him under the bus or what, but she came forward and said like, oh no, actually he couldn't have done it. He was with me. Very confusing situation there. Yeah. I feel like once you got to really just stick to your guns on this one, just pick a lane here. Yeah. Pick a lane. <laughs> but investigators weren't going to take his words at face value, especially because this man had been in trouble with the law in the past and because he had all the motive in the world to carry out this crime. Since they really had no good reason to just obtain a search warrant on his apartment, they decided to go another route. Damien was still on probation at this time, which meant that his probation officer was able to enter his home at any random time for a search. So the investigators teamed up with the probation officer and asked him to come look around Damien's apartment. And we will tell you all about what was found in this apartment and much more after one last word from this week's sponsors. In a recent survey of the people in my home, 50% of people surveyed said that sleep is one of the most important things in their lives. The other 50% were children whose opinions do not count in regards to sleep. Sleep is so important and good sleep is the most important and Eucalypso Home can help with just that. My husband is a hot sleeper and I sleep covered in layers of clothing and socks, which is really great for me until I wake up and throw my socks off. That's where Eucalypso Home comes in. Eucalypso Home sheets are naturally temperature regulating and are three times more breathable than cotton, making everyone sleep top-notch. 
Eucalypso Home sent us each some pillowcases, and it's absolutely like always sleeping on the cool side of the pillow. Mandy, how much do you love your pillowcases? I love them. I can't get enough of them. Yeah, they are amazing. So my husband loves good quality bedding so much that while we were actually out of town last week, he packed his new pillowcase to use away from home. Just kidding. We actually both did. Do you know that cotton traps sweat and bacteria? So while Melissa is over there sleeping in a cocoon, she's actually trapping sweat and bacteria in her sleeping sanctuary. This creates the perfect breeding ground for acne. Eucalypso home sheets are hypoallergenic, meaning they pamper your skin while you sleep. They are perfectly gentle for sensitive and acne-prone skin. All this translates to less breakouts, less odor, and most importantly, less laundry. Eucalypso sheets are ultra soft sheets made from 100% organic eucalyptus fibers that are sustainably milled in Austria in small batches. 99.9% of materials are recycled and reused in their production process, helping to protect the environment. Eucalypso sheets are the most eco-friendly sheets on the market. When you go to eucalyptohome.com, that's E-U-C-A-L-Y-P-S-O-H-O-M-E, and use promo code MOMS, you can take 15% off with free shipping on your entire purchase. Again, for 15% off plus free shipping, go to eucalyptohome.com and use our code MOMS today. Last summer, out of nowhere, I started getting migraines. Literally one day, they just started. And since that time, I've had multiple migraines a week and sometimes several a day. And if you've had a migraine, you know all you want to do is crawl into a quiet hole where there are no screaming kids and lay down until it passes. It's absolutely miserable. And then when I finally realized that they just weren't going to go away and I decided to go get treatment for them, I had to schedule a doctor's appointment and these appointments were booked weeks out and I'm having the migraines right now. Like, why do I want to wait several weeks? Plus, I'd have to drag my kids to the appointment, which is just the cherry on top of a crap salad. Cove offers a better solution. Cove gives you a path to treating migraines by beginning with a simple consultation. You can do this from the convenience of your own home, where a doctor reviews your symptoms and determines the best course of treatment for you. And your personalized supply of medication is delivered to your door. Migraines are very personal and different for each individual, so you need a treatment that is tailored just for you. After you have your consultation, a doctor with Cove creates an individual course of treatment just for you. The type, intensity, and frequency of my migraines are very different than what my mom has, and Cove knows that, so our treatment plans will look very different. After you started on your treatment course, Cove reaches out through their secured patient portal to check in with you to see how you're doing with your treatment plan. I grew up with my mom having migraines, but they weren't a part of my life until recently. So I love that Cove offers education all about the symptoms of migraines, what causes them, and other frequently asked questions that you may not have thought of. It makes it super easy to learn what you should know about migraines and treatments for migraines. A doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in the state where you live will be the one who prescribes your monthly medication and will oversee your progress. Cove offers both acute and preventative medications, which is great. Plus, all migraine medicine prescribed by Cove doctors is FDA approved. If you suffer from migraines, the last thing you need is to have to wait to see your doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. And when you use our special link, you'll get your first month of treatment for free. Go to withcove.com slash momsandmurder. Again, to get your first month of treatment free, go to W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash moms and murder. That's with com slash moms and murder. Now back to the story. So when we before we took the break, we were talking about how Damien, they got his probation officer to go search his apartment because they didn't really have anything on him. So they couldn't just 
go in there and start looking around. But they knew that he was on probation still as part of this, you know, whole thing of his court ordered rehab and everything. So they knew that was kind of a loophole for them to get into his place and be able to search around. So they sent his probation officer over. And what his probation officer found when he went over there was... Nineteen fifty dollar bills, which police believed was suspicious because they had already been told by Donna that her husband carried a huge wad of 50s in his wallet, which is the same wallet that was stolen during the attack. There were also six different cell phones and a supply of anabolic steroids located in Damien's apartment. None of these things were necessarily incriminating for the murder investigation, but the possession of steroids was against Damien's probationary terms, and they were able to place him under arrest while they sorted out the rest. Once Damien was in custody, investigators began looking through the six cell phones that they had found. Four of them appeared to just be burner phones, which were typical of a drug dealer, and one was Damien's regular phone, and the last one was the phone that was purchased by Donna and used exclusively for communicating with her. So what do you do? Carry all these phones around? Do you have, like, cargo shorts? I don't get it. I don't really understand that. I don't really understand burner phones. Okay, this is me being very naive. Why do you need that many is what I don't understand. I guess if you have, I guess I would be, like, more like, okay, one's his real phone, and then you have one other phone that you use for, like, dealing drugs. I don't know why you need (laughs) four. (laughs) Maybe it's depends on the type of drug you're selling. Maybe there's like, I know, do I want to answer a call about marijuana tonight or would I rather answer one about crack? (laughs) A different phone for each thing. (laughs) Let's see how the night leaves us. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's why I just, I don't understand that. So the phone that was just used for communicating with Donna was filled with text messages in which the two of them would profess their undying love for each other, including several messages that were sent back and forth on the morning of the day that Dr. Mundo was shot. None of the messages sent from the phones that day indicated any plan to murder Dr. Munda, and they were mostly just more of the same lovey-dovey, mushy stuff that Donna and Damien typically sent back and forth to each other. One text from Damien even stated that he could not wait to see her when she returned to Pennsylvania. But the police pressed on and got a court order to look into the cell tower locations that had been used from that phone on May 13th, 2005. They looked into both Donna and Damien's cell phones. Donna's phone records, of course, showed her movements throughout the day and when she was on the turnpike. However, Damien's phone records showed something completely different than what the story was that he had given to the police. He was not at home in Pennsylvania at the time of the crime at all. In fact, the record showed that he was on the turnpike at the same times that Donna was and at the exact time of the shooting. Damien's phone pinged off of a tower that was within half a mile from the location of Dr. Munda's shooting. The records even showed that Damien was in the same area at the time the Munda stopped at the convenience store, all the while sending these innocent-looking texts back and forth with Donna. This was enough information for police to bring murder charges against Damien on March 29, 2006. So at this point, the police know that Damien is a trigger man, but they strongly believe that Donna was in on the plot. They just hadn't uncovered enough evidence to prove this yet. Police hoped that if they lit a fire under Damien, he would cave and tell them everything, but he kept his mouth shut about anything that had to do with Donna. They believed that he was protecting her in hopes that she would be used as a star witness when he went to trial and that she would get on the stand and deny his involvement in the entire shooting. Donna, however, had no plans to do such a thing. It's possible her attorneys got to her and convinced her that it was a really bad idea, but in the end, she decided not to testify in Damien's trial at all. 
And that's when Damien finally decided to talk. He was offered a plea deal that would give him significantly less jail time if he told the whole truth about what happened. And so he did. He told police that Donna had approached him with this murder-for-hire plot at some point in the spring of 2005. It began as a conversation about the $1 million divorce settlement that was being offered to her. Damien said that she should take it, that it was a really good deal considering it was four times as much as she was supposed to get outlined in their original prenup. But Donna was pretty greedy. She didn't want to take that $1 million because she felt that there was more owed to her and that she wanted to get it all. Donna initially told Damien that she thought he should shoot her husband on one of his trips to the mosque where he worshipped every Friday. But when Damien failed to find an opportune time to kill him, she came up with a plan of a staged highway robbery gone wrong. Once she collected the money after Dr. Munda's death, and he believed that it would be somewhere between 3 to $6 million. Damien said that he was motivated to carry out the killing for the money and that he had thought their plan was solid and that they would be able to get away with it. He even told the police where they could find the gun that was used to shoot Dr. Munda. After Damien's trial, he was sentenced to just 17 years in prison for his part in the murder. I have to say that's a really, really, really good deal for him. Yeah. Because he was only, what they say, in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. So he will get to only be in his like mid 40s when he gets out and not even, not even that. He'll be like 40, I yeah. feel like, when he gets out and be able to live a life. Yeah. Well, the thing that always kind of bugs me in these cases where you can get a plea deal for testifying against somebody else is if somebody really wasn't involved, but the police think they were involved. I'm not saying it in this case. They can use it. Yeah. Yeah. They can use it. And what if Mm -hmm. this person wasn't involved and now you've the person that came up with this idea has this really short, you know, deal. And this other person has a ton. The story we talked about before in Tallahassee, and I'm forgetting their names right now, John Williams, Michael Williams, Mike Williams, I think it was Michael. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just had their trial a few months ago, month or two ago, and he ended up going to jail just for the kidnapping of her charges. He testified against her, and I think she got life in prison. And so if she really didn't do anything, which I'm not saying that she didn't, she was convicted, he got off really, really easy. And because everybody wanted her so bad, they felt like she was the one that, you know, instigated the entire thing. But so these are always kind of interesting to me. I'm always like, I really hope you've got everything you need in this, but I understand why they do it as well. Prosecutors then set their sights on Donna and charged her with second-degree murder as a conspirator on July 24, 2006. Damien agreed to take the stand against her as a star witness. During Donna's trial, Damien told his story again and also told the jury that he had no intentions of running away and starting a life with Donna once this was all said and done. He told the court that he was in love with Charlie McFraser and that they were engaged and that he was kind of in love with Donna, but that he was also in love with himself and other females. <laughs> lay it all out there, buddy. Just lay it all out there. I love somebody that can, you know, say that they're in love with themselves. That's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least admit it, yeah. So his plan was apparently to take the money and run. Upon hearing Damien say these things, Donna actually broke down in court. She was sobbing hysterically, and it became really clear that she was truly in love with Damien and thought they were going to live some happy fantasy life together once her husband was out of the picture. And this makes a lot of sense to me with her being the one that wanted her husband dead and Damien being the one saying, like, you're getting a good deal. Why do you want to do this? Right. So prosecutors were seeking the death penalty for Donna, but the jury went easy on her and recommended a life sentence instead. Dr. Munda's family was happy with the outcome of both trials. Donna is serving her sentence in Philadelphia and has maintained her innocence through the whole ordeal. She has appealed her conviction, but has been unsuccessful with getting it overturned. My goodness. Yeah. 
And it is like a totally, you know, if this story is all true and things did happen all this way, it's just selfishness. Like this guy was being so nice and like giving you more than you even needed. And there was no reason. It was over. Like you were done. <laughs> you could have moved on with your life. Yeah. And- well, right. that's why I named this episode Love Don't Cost a Thing because I feel like it's so appropriate for this episode. Like there is no reason for any of this to have happened. And this poor man that lost his life over something so just just unnecessary, I feel like. You know, these the murder for hire stories really get to me. And like this one wasn't really directly a murder for hire, but in a way it was because she was kind of promising Damien this whole other life of her, you know, taking care of him and everything. So she convinced him to, you know, to do this murder. So it's technically as a murder for hire, but I just, it's just so senseless. Like there was just no need for any of that. She could have just divorced him. And it was amicable. There was just like, it was yeah. done. They were, they were going out of town together. Like this just was not, it did not seem like a huge deal. He just was kind of done. And, it was fine. Um, alternative title for this episode could be uh, Money Can't Buy You Class, in the words of Countess Luann de la Seps from Real House yeah. of Zuni. <laughs> yeah, that is a good runner-up title. <laughs> but the other thing that kind of disturbed me in this story was the mom was there. Your mom is there, and you've got your boyfriend coming to shoot your husband – you know what I mean? Like, whoa, that's pretty brazen. Because if you're going to run yeah. off and run together, don't you think your mom's ever going to be like, huh, that voice sounds like the guy who murdered your husband in front of me. It's just so bizarre. That just seemed like it extra. Is. Why would you do that to your mom? I don't get it. But it just goes to also show like how people get so wrapped up in these situations right. that it's almost like you they really don't consider. No, it's all very selfish. Everything. It's just so like. I don't even know. They're just not thinking about all of the effects that this is going to have on everyone, you know, how this is going to play out and everything. And obviously murder is never the answer ever, you know, and and, and if I like that you I had to follow ever, up with like ever, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail. I don't there is no man worth spending the rest of my life in jail. <laughs> Thank you very much. So. No, but it, murder never affects just the person that's murdered. It affects the family of them. It affects the family of the person that did it. It affects all these peripheral people that you that they're not thinking of because they're selfish and they're murdering people. So obviously they're not thinking about anybody but themselves, really. So, wow, we could Just basically terrible. have a dissertation on this. We've yeah, really we could. Okay, so before we waste anyone else's time, let's waste a little bit more of it with our last thing before we go. Last thing before we go is our little segment that we do at the end of every show. We have been doing a little disclaimer at the end of the last few shows because we actually get hate mail about last thing before we go. Don't send us Not hate, hate mail. mail. Just, <laughs> just people that say, please stop talking about meat pies. Favorite review yeah. ever. 15 minutes of meat pies was my favorite <laughs> review ever. Yeah. So we're just going to do our little last thing before we go. We're just not talking about murder anymore. So if you don't want to hear it, just skip to the next podcast on your playlist. And if you do want to hear it, congratulations. Wow. You're just in time. (laughs) All right. So Priscilla, this is actually a question that I got from our Facebook group and she just posted it today. Like, and I loved it so much. And I actually... Put it in the episode because I loved it so much. So Priscilla from our Facebook group wants to know, 
if we could only eat three foods for the rest of our life, what would they be? So here's my question. Is it like a singular food or is it a meal? Okay, so I'm saying meal okay. because I tried to think of singular foods and it's just not working for me. So I want to do like, you know, meals. Okay, you go first then because you clearly have put a lot of thought into this. Go ahead. I I haven't actually. Okay, so obviously, obviously, one of my foods I would eat is avocados. You're going to hate all of my foods, by I the way. I like avocados. <laughs> They're fine. They're fine. You're just going to hate that I'm not – going for better things in life. Okay. So if I could only eat three foods, avocados, salad, oh, and oh my gosh. <laughs> and shrimp tacos. <laughs> I'm so disappointed for you. Mandy, a salad? That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. Nope. I love salad so much, Melissa. You know this about me by now. I am like the salad queen. I will make anything into a salad. I will put anything on a salad. I get so creative with my salads and I actually genuinely love eating salad. I love it. I could not live without salad. If I had to pick a food that I could not live without, I would say I have to have salad in my life. I mean, steak, whatever. Salad. I have to have a good salad with all the vegetables on Your hands it. are just going <laughs> everywhere. Like you are trying to convince yourself that a salad is what you like. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I mean, but shrimp taco is also very, very specific. A shrimp taco. I've never even heard you order a shrimp taco <laughs> anywhere. I've never even heard you mention a shrimp taco ever. Because you hate tacos, so I don't talk about them with you. But <laughs> if I had to, like, if I have to pick a taco out of all the amazing tacos in the world, it's a shrimp taco with, like, the spicy coleslaw. Like, coleslaw mm. is the most bullcrap <laughs> food in the entire world. People give you coleslaw without you even asking. That's how you know it's crap. Nobody asks if you want coleslaw with your meal. No. It just comes with your meal because they're like, we have too much. Nobody <laughs> wants this. Nobody's going to pay yeah, for no. it. <laughs> no. Okay. I get it. Okay. But regular coleslaw is terrible. But like the slaw that they put on shrimp tacos, it's like spicy and limey and zesty and delicious. I love it so much. I love shrimp tacos. They're so <laughs> this good. Is such an eye-opening experience <laughs> for me. Okay. So, okay. Mine, you're going to make fun of mine, so it doesn't even matter. Okay. If I could only have three things for the rest of my life, I would eat the steak bowl from – wait, can I say that? The steak bowl from Chipotle, or is that not going to count as one? Yes. Okay. Oh, my God. How did I not say anything from Chipotle I know. That's why I'm like, foods. how did you I land want- on shrimp tacos? <laughs> no, you're stuck with shrimp taco and your stupid coleslaw. So I'm going to eat your steak bowls because those are so good. Steak burrito bowls. And then I would say, huh, what I like? Oh, a Publix Subs. Love public subs. Love the bread. Yeah. Love the carbs. Duh. Um, and then my last one would be like uh, mixed fruit. But not with mandarins. Don't put like – you know how like they try and give you fruit bowls and they put like mandarins in and then everything tastes like mandarins? Screw you. I don't want any of that. Yes. I want like – No, and mandarin oranges are so gross. I will go BS. on record and say they are so disgusting. Nobody likes them. No, they're terrible. You give them to your kids. That's it. You're like, oh, this tastes kind of sweet. Eat this. You're not – going to be able to figure out that this is not the good fruit in this entire bowl. Give me your strawberries. Give me your pineapples. Give me your kiwi. I mean, you can only eat that like one day in a row because your mouth will <laughs> literally go crazy from all the <laughs> acidic stuff. But I, I do love fresh fruit. That's one thing I love. So I feel like if I had to eat stuff every day, 
those three things, I feel like that's enough variety for me. I could I could live a happy life. This is very yeah. exciting. I'm very excited. I like I do like your choices, I have to say. I know, because <laughs> I did not pick shrimp tacos. <laughs> hey, don't Okay. <laughs> Stop making fun of me now. We're moving on to the next question. I'll make fun of you on this one too. Go ahead. I can do it. All right. So Paula D is a frequent flyer on our (laughs) last thing before we go. She wants to know if we would rather have a nanny, a chef, or a housekeeper. Mm, Do you know right off the bat? Do you know what you want? I absolutely know right off the bat. Let's say it on the count of three because I feel like it's going to be the same thing. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. One, two, three. Housekeeper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that says so much about both of us. <laughs> yeah, it does. No, I definitely out of those things. Okay, because first of all, I don't want a chef. I love to cook and I am a good cook. That is not even a humble brag. It's just a brag. It's just a regular brag. <laughs> It's just a regular brag. So I like cooking and it's actually relaxing for me. So I don't want a chef and I don't want to have a nanny because I mean, I would like to have a babysitter sometimes. I just want somebody to clean my house for me, really. Yeah. And and that's it. Like, honestly, it's a no-brainer for me out of those things. I want to be able to spend time with my kids and not have to worry about cleaning my house instead of spending time with my kids. So yeah, that's a hun- that's why I choose housekeeping. I would totally agree with that, except I'm not a good cook. So maybe my family would want a chef and I don't enjoy it. So really, <laughs> I could do all of these things. I have a wonderful babysitter that comes to my house once a week. Hi, Jessica. She's been a huge help. So I don't, I didn't need a nanny before. I get the appeal of them, but it's okay. Like, the kids are with us 24-7. If we haven't hired a nanny at this point, we're just not going to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've kind of figured life out without yeah. a nanny at this point. I, but I would like someone to come do other things for me so that I don't have to feel like I have to take away time from my kids to do other things like cook and keep my house Yeah. Clean. Basically, kids so. just want you – like if you're cleaning something, kids always want to, number one, ruin it, whatever you're cleaning. Yeah. They absolutely, and then they don't want anything to do with helping you do it. So that's always the thing that I'm like, man, I just wish somebody would come through once a week and just clean all the crap you don't want to, like bathrooms and stuff. I just hate it so much. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I feel like a lot of people would land there. You'll have to tell us what you guys think. We would love to hear your opinions on our Facebook group, Twitter, whatever. Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, well, I will, when I post about this episode, when it comes out, I will pose the question in our Facebook group. And by the way, if you're not in our Facebook group and you want to join, it's called Mums the Word. You can search for it on Facebook and it has a little Mums and Murder banner on top so you'll know you're in the right place. But then you'll be confused that you're in the right place because 99% of people that join say, is this the Mums and Murder Facebook group? Because no one's talking about the podcast to which we say. Yeah, no, they don't talk about the podcast in there. It's an amazing group. It really is. There's no podcast talk. None. If you don't answer the questions, you're not going to get in anyway. So just answer the questions and get approved and then you can check it out and see what it's like if you want to do that. There's a lot of shenanigans that go on there. And then you can send us these lovely last thing before we go questions also while we're in there. So go check that out if you want to. Before we get out of here, we want to play a promo for a wonderful show you need to be listening to, and that show is Three Men and a Mystery. One of the guys that is on this show is Morph from Criminology and like 17 other shows you're probably listening to, so please stick around and check that out. And Mandy, I will not see you next week. We will not see anyone next week because we will not be here next week. I'm so sorry. If you are 
bored, you can go listen to our back catalog. How <laughs> <laughs> bored you gotta be. All right, guys, we will see you on April 9th with a new episode. Take care. Have a good week. Bye. Welcome to Three Men in a Mystery. I'm one of your hosts, John Lorden. And this is Mike Morford. And I'm Gray Hughes. July 31st, 1999. Teenagers J.B. Hilton Green Beasley and her friend Tracy Hallett got lost on their way to a party. They wound up in Ozark, Alabama. They used another payphone to call Tracy's mother to let them know they had been lost, but were now heading home. However, they would never get home. The next morning, the car was found by local police. An investigator figures out there's a latch release for the trunk inside the car. He opens it. In the trunk were the bodies of J.B. Beasley and Tracy Hollett. They had each been shot in the head. That was almost 20 years ago. For me personally, it's a mystery that shouldn't be a mystery. It's time for answers for the families of these two young girls. If we do have DNA in this case, there is a very important aspect. There is a big company that's been hitting the news for solving numerous cases using genealogy matches based off DNA information. And they are called Parabon Nanolabs. And we have already been in contact with them. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Mike? If that DNA is from the killer, there's a way to track that back to the likely donor. And I think that's what Parabon can do in this case. One of the things we'd like to do is help facilitate that if we can. And hopefully get Parabon in touch with the proper authorities, see if they can work together and move this case forward. I think it's very important to look at all cases starting with known facts and void of wild speculation. That, that allows people to speculate reasonably based on a foundation of accurate visual and technical information. We've got Gray, who's a very detail-oriented technical expert when it comes to understanding maps, doing 3D recreations. We've got Morph, who is such a good people person. He's able to reach out, try to make contact. And when he does, once he gets people talking, there's some pretty amazing things that happen. So... I think paralleling our three strong suits is going to bring something very different to this podcast than we've seen in the true crime podcast space. Subscribe to the podcast right now. We are three men in a mystery. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.